First John chapter 2, beginning at verse 20 tonight. Last week we looked at verses 18 and 19, and I, I just want to remind us of what John was saying there, because what he's going to say tonight builds on that. And he's using the words that he speaks tonight to these folks to, to reassure them, to encourage them, because they have been shaken. Um, and we can understand why. Because we were reminded last week that there was a, a large group within this community of believers that left and departed out of the fellowship. And this obviously shook those that, you know, stayed. Why would they leave us? Why would they depart? And John was trying to, you know, reassure them even last week that, well, they, ne they never really belonged. They, they were never really, they never really embraced you all and they, they never really were invested with you all. And, and that's why they, they left. But like even us, it, if somebody walks out of our life, there's no doubt that we go through a time of questioning ourselves. I mean, that's just sort of normal. You know, maybe we didn't do anything, but it's just sort of natural that if somebody that has been a part of our life just sort of walks out of our life, we start questioning. And not that that's bad. Like I said, there's, there's always things we can learn through the ups and downs of relationships. But I think what John is coming along here at this point and saying is, look, guys, you've been shaken by this. There's no doubt about it. But I, I, want, to, I want to encourage you guys. I, I want to reassure you. I, I don't want you to think that at this, because of this particular circumstance, that you did anything wrong or that you should have done anything differently. Um, and certainly, too, when we go through something like that where we question ourselves, we even maybe start to lose some confidence. And so one of the things that John keeps repeating through this letter is, you can know, you can know, you can know. In other words... Instead of maybe being unsure, there are things that you and I can know. There were things that they could know. And the word know, K-N-O-W, is a key word in the book of 1 John. And John not only wants the recipients of this letter to be encouraged and be reassured about the things that they can know, he obviously wants us to be encouraged and reassured about the things that we can know as well. Now, obviously, this group left, and then John last week said, oh, and by the way, it's the last hour, so there's sort of now a sense of urgency. And then he says, oh, and by the way, the Antichrist is coming one day, but even before he comes, there are many Antichrists that have already arrived that are already have appeared. And I'm sure, again, these folks were like, whoa, you know, are we ready for this? 
can, can we navigate this, these defining moments in which we live? And John wants to basically remind them, yes. Yes, you can navigate these times. Even though it's the last days. Even though the spirit of the Antichrist is already rising up. Even though people may leave your fellowship and walk out of your life, you can still be sure and you can still be strong. And John's going to tell us why tonight. By the way, before we get into these verses tonight, I want to go back to that concept of, of where John talked about last week, it being the last hour. Meaning that, that it is a, a time for us to seize the opportunity and to know that from God's perspective, the last hour of human history started when Jesus first came to earth. And so we are living in the last hour. And that it should, uh, it should motivate us with a sense of urgency about our lives and, and how fast life goes by and that we do have a limited time here on earth, and that even the, the flow of human history is moving towards the end, if you will, of what we know human history to be, before God very dramatically and decisively intervenes in human history again, like He did in times past. So with that said, keep your finger, we'll come back there in just a moment. I want you to go back to the Old Testament book of First Chronicles for a moment. The book of First Chronicles to chapter 12 and verse 32. And I want you to see this verse here where the author says in First Chronicles 12.32 from Issachar there were 200 leaders and all their relatives at their command. And here's the, the phrase I want us to focus on. They understood the times and knew what Israel should do. That's really important. That's in a sense why even John writes to the folks that he does, folks, it's the last hour. Do you understand the times in which you are living, because notice that the author here is linking being able to understand the times in which we live with knowing what to do. And if we're going to not only learn the Word and live the life, but we're going to lead the world in some way, we've got to understand the times in which we live and know what to do. Now, specifically in this context, this was when David was basically being acknowledged by the majority of the nation of Israel that he was the king. And, and he got, at this point, uh, as I said, the, the majority of the nation finally was behind him and supporting him. And the, the people of Issachar knew it was now time to, to take our support away from Saul because Saul was now off the scene and to fully support David. The reason why they are pointed out here is because even though finally uh, the majority of the nation came to a point where they said, yes, David should be our king, we support him as our king, there were many people who left 
supporting Saul too early. And they threw their support behind David too early. And God wanted to see that the people who really understood what was going on would wait. That even though God had anointed, you know, through Samuel, David was king and he was anointed king years before, that in God's timing, David wasn't ready to ascend the throne. David had to go through some training and learning first. But there were so many people that were anxious to take their support away from Saul and give it to David. But that's really not what God wanted them to do. And so one of the reasons why the tribe of Issachar is is sort of used as an example here is they understood that until Saul was dead, they needed to keep supporting Saul. Then once Saul was dead, they needed to throw their support behind David. They understood what God's plan was and what the times were. And they knew then what Israel should do at this moment. And that was to throw all their support behind David. But it was a timing thing. Okay? It was a timing thing. It was was a timing thing as far as their decision to support someone or not support someone. And it was also a timing thing, understanding the times in which they lived. With that in mind, turn to the Gospel of Matthew for just a moment. or I'm sorry, Luke. Luke's Gospel, chapter 12. And notice what Jesus says here. In Luke chapter 12, beginning at verse 54. Jesus at this point had many people following Him. Whether they were true followers or not, you know, but many people following Him. And Jesus also said to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west... You say at once, a rainstorm is coming, and it does. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, there will be scorching heat, and there is. You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and the sky, but how can you not know how to interpret the present time? He's saying, you're very good at being able to discern certain things, but then other things, spiritual things, You're very poor at at discerning and perceiving what's going on. And if we don't know the times in which we live, then back to 1 Chronicles 12, then we really can't understand what to do. It's only when you and I understand what's going on in light of what the Bible teaches, that we really then can begin to prioritize and be purposeful about the things that we should be engaged in and what we should do. And that's one of the reasons why John even writes in 1 John, children, it is the last hour. And yes, the Antichrist is coming, but there are already many Antichrists. He's trying to get them to see, here's the times in which you live. Now, do you understand what to do? And don't let what's happening around you shake you up. Even like today, many Christians are shaken by the circumstances and the events that are going on around the world and they don't understand the times in which they live. And and because of that, they're sort of becoming, you know, overwhelmed by it all rather than understanding the purpose behind it and seizing the opportunity of the times in which they live. And so with that said, let's be encouraged today by going back to 1 John chapter 2. 
and look at verse 20 then in light of all of this. So John says, yes, you've had some folks leave your fellowship. Yes, it is the last hour. Yes, there are already many antichrists that have arrived on the scene, spreading a, uh, the spirit, if you will, of antichrist. But he says, nevertheless, you, and the word you there is plural, all of you, not just some of you, not just a spiritual elite, not just, you know, the spiritual leaders. Because one of the things that John was combating, if you will, and fighting against was that there were, were these sort of elite teachers and, and people that claim to have special insight and that we need to follow them because, you know, God has given them, you know, a, a special way of looking at things that he just doesn't give the common person. And can I tell you, from my own experience in dealing with cults and cult leaders, that that's exactly the foundation of every cult and every cult leader is they convince people that, that they have a special something that nobody else has, and you need me. You need to depend upon me. Because, you know, you're not going to get this unless you've got me, you see. That's, that's the whole foundation of cults and false religions and all of that. So John comes along and said, don't, don't be intimidated and shaken by all these things. He says to the whole community of believers, you, plural, have an anointing from God. And the word have here is very important. It means to permanently possess. In other words, this anointing that he's going to talk about tonight is not something that's temporary. It's not something that comes and goes in our life. It is a permanent possession of every true believer in Jesus Christ. So, so here tonight, you, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you, Pastor Jeff doesn't just have an anointing, you have an anointing. And that anointing is never going to leave you. It's not something that's going to uh, be here in your life temporarily. You already have an anointing. You don't have to pray for an anointing. You, you don't have to seek an anointing. You already have the anointing of God on your life. Do you realize that tonight? Now, in the Old Testament, when God would uh, command, especially prophets, to anoint someone. It was symbolic of equipping them for a God-given task. In other words, even like Samuel anointing David. It, it, was, it was symbolic of saying, I will be with you, meaning God, I will be with you. You lay hands on this person, you anoint them, and you remind them that I will equip them to do what I've called them to do. That, that's sort of the whole concept of anointing. And so what I want us to see tonight is the same principle here in the New Testament in this way. God is reminding us through John that whatever God gives us to do as a believer in Jesus Christ, whatever He asks us to do, whatever He calls us to do, Whatever assignment He gives us, whatever mission He sends us on, 
we can be sure that He will equip us for that God-given task. I don't know about you, but that's encouraging to me. I I don't ever want to feel or be in a position like I'm doing this, but I don't have what it takes to do it. That with God, if God is truly leading me to do something, I can always count on the equipping of God to do it through His anointing. You see. Now again, we have to make sure that what we are taking on then in our lives is what God is leading us to do. Because if I end up choosing to do something that God doesn't want me to do, then God won't, you know, He won't enable me to do it because it's not something He wanted me to do. I'll be on my own there. And I'll probably feel like it too. Like I'm sure you have at times in your life. But the encouraging thing is, the reassuring thing is, that if we take on responsibility that God wants us to take on, He will equip us for the task. And He does it in a twofold way. He does it through His Word, and He does it through the gift of the Holy Spirit. And that's primarily what this anointing is referring to here in 1 John chapter 2. It is the indwelling, permanent possession of the Holy Spirit. That's why John says to every believer, you all have this anointing. Because the Bible clearly teaches that when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, we are given the Holy Spirit. We are baptized into the body of Christ by the Holy Spirit. It's why Paul tells the Corinthians, now your body as a Christian is the temple of the Holy Spirit. God, the Holy Spirit, dwells in us. In fact, Paul told the Romans in the book of Romans, if you don't have the Spirit of God living within you, then you are not a child of God. Because the Holy Spirit is the marker, if you will. Uh, It is the seal. It is the guarantee that we are the children of God when God's Spirit inhabits us. And think about it. So here's again the encouraging thing. We have to remind ourselves that as we go through each day, as we tackle the responsibilities of each day, as we face the challenges of each day, we have God Himself, the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit living inside of us and is equipping us and enabling us to do what God calls us to do and to be what God calls us to be. We have that anointing. Now again, part of this is where the Holy Spirit works with the Word of God. And then you've got them both sort of married together, working together. That's why the Bible tells us in Ephesians 4, when it talks about the responsibilities of pastors, it tells pastors to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And how does primarily a pastor equip the saints for the work of the ministry? By teaching the Word of God. And that's why then Paul says in 2 Timothy 3.16, And all Scripture is inspired by God and is given... So that every believer can be thoroughly equipped for every good work. There's that word equipped again. See, God gives us His Word so that we can be equipped. And God gives us His Spirit so that we can be equipped. So that whatever God asks of us, we can accomplish it through 
the indwelling Holy Spirit. So he says, nevertheless, you have an anointing from the Holy One. The gift of the Holy Spirit. The hands-on ministry of the Holy Spirit. And I think that's why he uses the word anointing. Yes, they used oil, which is also a symbol in the Bible of the Holy Spirit to anoint someone. But more than the oil, the, the more important thing was that they would lay hands on the person. And it was literally a, an idea of, of a hands-on thing. And so when John picks up this concept and uses the word anointing and says to Christians, you have an anointing from the Holy One, he's saying the Holy Spirit is very hands-on with you. He's not detached. He never is. He always indwells us. He permanently possesses our being. That's again why as a Christian we have to fight against the feelings every once in a while, that God somehow is very distant or far away from us. That may be the way we feel, but the fact is, the Holy Spirit is always inside of us and He never leaves us. We are sealed, Paul says to the Ephesians, by the Holy Spirit until the day we go to be with Jesus. So He's always there. Well, if God lives inside of me, then he's never far away. He's always right here. And that's what John wants these folks to see. That's why he wants to encourage him. That's why he wants to reassure them. He says, you have an anointing from the Holy One. Remember when Jesus said to his followers, he said, when I go away, it's going to be to your advantage because when I go back to heaven, I'm going to send my Holy Spirit to you. And then like Acts 1.8, the verse we talked about even on Sunday, when Jesus said, now you wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit. And when He comes, He will empower you. And then you'll be able to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part. Notice Jesus said, don't start trying to witness for me until you are empowered by the Spirit. But once you are empowered by the Spirit, man, you go. Because there is nothing that you can't do through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the anointing. And so what we need to do as believers is just learn to, to sort of tap in to the anointing that we already have and that we already and permanently possess. Learning to walk in the power of the Spirit. Learn to live in the Spirit with, with His aid, with His support, because He's always there, you see. Maybe a bad way to illustrate it, but many Christians, I think, even though we have the Holy Spirit at times, we almost live as if we don't. <laughs> because we, we, we need to learn to live through the Spirit or let the Spirit live through us. And the only way, you know, again, bad, there, there are many things that you and I possess that don't necessarily do us any practical good on a day-to-day -day basis. And sadly to say, that's true even sometimes of those of us who possess the Holy Spirit. That even though we have the anointing and we permanently possess the Holy Spirit, very practically speaking, He doesn't make that much of a difference many times in our lives, like He should. It'd be like a person who has, say, a, a challenge with hearing, 
and they wear a hearing device and they possess it. They even have it in their ear, but they never turn it on. Well, what good does it do to have this device that could help someone hear if you don't tap into it and turn on the power, if you will? And I think what John is reminding us of here is that you and I possess the Holy Spirit of God. So let's make sure that we live through Him. That we tap into the power that we have rather than, again, trying to live life on our own. You have an anointing from the Holy One. And notice he goes on to say, And you all know. Again, because the Holy Spirit lives within us, we are able to see things that we could not see apart from the Holy Spirit. And that's exactly what this word know means here. It means to see. It means to be able to grasp and comprehend spiritual truth. It's why Paul told the Corinthians, the natural man, the man without the Spirit of God, cannot comprehend or grasp spiritual things. But the one who has the Spirit, he can understand and grasp things because he has the aid of the Holy Spirit within him. He has the anointing of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't mean we exhaustively know all things because we have the Holy Spirit. But what it does mean is if God wants us to understand something, we have the capability through the indwelling Holy Spirit to be able to grasp it, to see it, and to understand it, to comprehend it. That's what he means by you all know. And again, this was reassuring to these folks because people had left them. They began to question maybe their own standing with God and their own faith. Were we, were we doing it right? This is the last hour. This is a defining moment. There are many antichrists. Are we up to the task? Are we up to the challenge? Has God equipped us and outfitted us enough to be able to rise to the challenges of the days in which we live. And John comes along and says, absolutely, you all have an anointing from the Holy One and you have the capacity to know. Keep your finger there and go back to these verses where Jesus talks about this. In John's Gospel, chapter 14, I just want to look at two verses, John fourteen twenty six and John sixteen thirteen. John fourteen twenty six. And John 16, 13. Notice in John 14, 26, Jesus says, But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and will cause you to remember everything I said to you. He's not saying that we have no need of human teachers. Obviously, God calls pastors and teachers to teach the Word to his people. But he's saying, don't ultimately rely on a human being to be your teacher. Let the Holy Spirit be your teacher because the Holy Spirit is the ultimate teacher for all of us. And then chapter 16, verse 13. Notice Jesus said, when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. Any truth that we need, the Holy Spirit will be our guide. He will get us there one step at a time. That's why John says, you have an anointing from the Holy One and you all know. 
We can, through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, see things that we could never see apart from the Holy Spirit. We can have a spiritual perception, a spiritual discernment. We can understand and comprehend things through the Spirit of God. We could talk about this a lot. Should I go? Yeah, I'm going to take you there. 1 Corinthians. Chapter 2. Beginning at verse 6. I'm not going to get as far as I thought, but oh well. Now we do speak wisdom among the mature. 1 Corinthians 2.6 But not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are perishing. Instead, we speak the wisdom of God hidden in a mystery that God determined before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood it. If they had known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But just as it is written, things that no eye has seen or ear heard or mind imagined are the things that God prepared for those who love Him. That's God's promise to you and me. And here's how God reveals them. God has revealed these to us by what? The Spirit. The anointing that we have through the Holy Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. Or who among men knows the things of a man except the man's spirit within him? So too, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things that are freely given to us by God. And notice the very last phrase of verse 16. What does Paul tell the Corinthians and tell us? We have the mind of Christ. That's an amazing statement. How can Paul say that? Because we have the Holy Spirit living within us. And what Jesus thinks, the Holy Spirit thinks too. Because even though the Trinity is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, three distinct persons, they also move and think as one. They are one God in three persons. And so if the Holy Spirit is thinking something, it means the mind of Jesus is thinking it too. They always work in unison with one another. Amazing. And that's what John's trying to encourage these folks with. He's saying, folks, do you realize what you have? Don't be shaken. You have an anointing and you can know these things. You don't have to guess whether you're right or not. You can know because the Holy Spirit lives within you and you can have a confidence as you live because of the leading and guiding of the Holy Spirit who will guide you into all truth. So back to 1 John. John then says in verse 21 of chapter 2, I have not written to you that you do not know the truth, but that you do know it. John says, I know you know. And I know why you know, because you have the Holy Spirit and the Spirit will lead you into truth. So a couple things. First of all, the importance of knowing. Can we really know? Yeah. God wants you and I to know. You see, 
it's one of the key words of this whole letter. God wants His people to be at a place where they can know, they can be assured that the foundation that we are living on and standing on and everything is not shaky ground. It is solid ground. We can know, you see. And then the other thing that John brings up here, that especially even today, like it was 2,000 years ago, is very controversial and politically incorrect, is the whole concept of truth. You see, we live in a world today that doesn't believe in absolutes. We live in a world today of relativism. Everything's relative. There are no absolutes. There is, because here's where the world has gone. And even to the extreme, even in my lifetime, I've seen a huge shift. If we believe in absolutes, then that means someone's right and someone's wrong. And we can't, we can't let somebody, we can't say that they're wrong. Because it's more important for people today on earth to hold up the idea of tolerance than it is to be worried that they might be wrong and in error. They don't care about error. They care about tolerance. The problem with tolerance, if you properly understand where the whole world goes with that, is what they're really saying is that everyone's view is good. Because there's no absolutes, which means we're all right in our own way. Which is why, you know, the whole world, you see, it's like, well, that's why we as Christians just really get under people's skin. Because somebody like me that teaches that Jesus Christ is the only way of salvation. No, no, all these other gods that these people believe in, they're equal to Jesus. They're just as good as Jesus and they'll get people to heaven just like Jesus will get us to heaven. That's relativism. That's where we are today in this world. You see. Because if we don't go there, and we say that there's truth, then that also means there's right and wrong. And yet, isn't it interesting that, at least we haven't got there totally yet, but... Are teachers intolerant by demanding that their students say that three plus two is five? Or if that student wants to say, well, three plus two equals six to me, well, that's okay. Because we can't say you're wrong because we're just all right in our own way. See, God created his world on truth and on absolutes. And John is saying, you realize, Christian, you have an anointing and you can see things that others, because of the Holy Spirit living in you, can't see, but you also better see that the world in which you live is not a world that believes in truth. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And look what they did to him. They killed him. They didn't want to hear that truth. In fact, when he stood before the religious leaders of Israel, they said, 
Are you the Messiah, the Son of God? And when he affirmed it, they said, he's blaspheming. We need to put him to death. You see. So, truth exists. And you and I have to determine, as John said, I'm writing these things to you because you know the truth. And as we said last week, Jesus himself said, only when we're willing to embrace the truth can we be set free. As long as we deny truth, deny the reality of what's really there, then we will never experience the freedom that we could have through Jesus Christ. And we see that today. How many people in this world deny, as John is going to tell us, the existence of Jesus or the fact that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One of God, and yet they're not free. They're living in bondage to religious systems and to, to addiction and, and to, to, to powers that are, that are greater than themselves. And our whole world is broken because the majority will not acknowledge truth. So John goes on to say, and he says, no lie, the end of verse 21, is of the truth. In other words, again, he's reminding us as believers who know the truth and hopefully have been set free by the truth, that the truth, God's revealed word, the truth, needs to be what we gauge everything by. And that then we have to compare everything else to truth and go, okay, does this line up with what God has revealed? If not, then it's a lie. It needs to be discarded. And we need to hold on to truth and, and judge everything by the truth of God. That needs to be the way you and I live. If it doesn't line up with what God has already revealed, then it's got to go. In fact, this is sort of the very, one of the very tests that the early church used to determine what books went into the Bible in the canon of Scripture and what books were thrown out. The books that were kept were the books that did not contradict what God had already revealed. The books that came along and, and brought up something that, that contradicted what God had clearly already revealed and what was already accepted, that didn't make, didn't make it. Because it wasn't true. It didn't line up. It didn't line up with the truth as they knew it. And God wants us to get that as well. And see, what God has now done for us, so that we can be sure and know, is He's given us sort of a twofold thing. He's given us the Word, and He's given us the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is going to take our knowledge of the Word and our understanding of the Word, and He's going to work with that so that we can know and be sure and have confidence in the world in which we live, no matter what the challenges are. Because God has given us an anointing, the permanent possession of the Holy Spirit. So then John goes on in verse 22, and I'll end with this tonight, and says this. Who is the liar? Ooh. Again, not a very, maybe 
politically correct term, but John calls it what it is. If there's truth, then that means there's lies, there's deception, which is what this word liar means. It means a deceiver, one who misrepresents, distorts, or misleads others. And he says, who is the liar but the person who denies that Jesus is the Christ? If they say no to Jesus, if they reject Jesus, if they refuse to affirm or confess that Jesus is the Messiah, the anointed one of God, which is what the term Christ means, then John says they're being deceitful. Because the truth is, the reality is, Jesus is the Christ. And if I, as a human being, don't accept that, then I am distorting and misleading and misrepresenting who Jesus is to other people. Because Jesus, in reality, is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. He is the Anointed One. And only when we line up with that are we truth and living in truth. Then he goes on to say, this one also is the Antichrist. Whoa! Wow! Because he's saying, if we, as a human being, don't put Christ in His proper place and believe that He is the Christ, then we are, we are deceiving others by our false view of Jesus Christ. We are distorting who Jesus is. We are misleading others. We are misrepresenting Him. So you think about it. Though even Christians get so hung up and focused on the Antichrist that one day will come, think about what John is saying here. He's saying that every human being who denies that Jesus is the Christ really has the spirit of Antichrist living within them. And that they are exhibiting that spirit as they live their lives. Because they are, they are living in unbelief. They are, they are living in denial of who Jesus is. And that is the spirit of Antichrist. So, look at the world today. How much of unbelief of who Jesus is exists in the world today? How much of the spirit of Antichrist exists in this world today? A lot. A lot. Because the majority of the multitudes on planet Earth do not embrace that Jesus is the Christ. And therefore, there is this unbelievable spirit of Antichrist that we are existing in. That's why the Bible says to us as Christians, don't look at this earth as your home. Your home is in heaven with the Lord. Our citizenship is in heaven, Paul says, Philippians 3.20. Not here on earth. We're just passing through. Because this earth and the majority of inhabitants who live on this earth do not embrace Jesus as the Christ. Now, while we're here as God's people, we are to be shining the light upon Jesus and trying to live for Him and to show others the reality of Jesus and who He is. But we also have to come to grips with the fact that 
We are living in a world and always have as believers in Jesus Christ that we are in the minority. And that the majority of people on planet Earth are living under the spirit of Antichrist. And it's only when they turn to faith in Jesus Christ will their, will their deception be, be gone and their blinders come off and they realize that they've been living basically a lie and not the truth all those years. I mean, that's what happened to Saul. Saul thought he was right by persecuting the church and and telling people that Jesus is not the Messiah until Jesus met him on the road to Damascus. And when he met Jesus and he saw the risen Jesus, he changed his mind. And that can happen. That's the miracle of salvation that God can take any of us who are living in darkness in spiritual darkness, and we can come into the light and be transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light simply by realizing who Jesus really is. That's what salvation is all about. So then John says this, the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ, this is not only the Antichrist, this person also denies the Father and the Son. Because the Father and the Son are a package deal, John says. So everyone, verse 23, who denies the Son doesn't have the Father either. You you can't have one without the other. You can't say you have a relationship with God the Father if you don't accept the Son of God. They come together. That's why even at Jesus' baptism, you had all the Trinity present at Jesus' baptism to affirm who Jesus was. Remember the dove came down and the symbol of the Holy Spirit upon Jesus as he was baptized. And then they heard this voice coming from heaven, which said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. It was God, the father's way of saying, this is him. He's the Messiah. He's the Christ. Follow him. Listen to him. You see, if someone doesn't accept Jesus, then though they might claim that they have the father, John says, no. Can't have the, you can't have the Father without the Son. Again, how many religions and faiths around the world say they believe in God, but they don't accept Jesus. And what John is saying is, here's the truth. Hard as it might be, if you and I don't accept Jesus for who He is, then we don't have God. Because the only way, as Jesus even said, to God is through him. That's the truth. And that understanding and that comprehension and that spiritual sight, those things come to us, folks. Not because of our intellect and our own wisdom and skill. It comes to us through the enlightening ministry of the Holy Spirit who lives within us. That's who enables us to see things like that. And to be able to comprehend and grasp things like that. And so I want to encourage you tonight. As you continue to grow as a Christian, know this. Whatever God wants you to know, you can know it through the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Whatever God is asking you to do for Him, you will have the equipment that you need through the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Whatever you and I need in life, we've got it. Because God the Holy Spirit permanently lives in each and every one of us. Father, we thank you tonight for the anointing that you've given us 
by giving us your Holy Spirit to live permanently inside of us. We are the temple of God. And so, God, I pray tonight that we would be just more aware of what we have as your children. That we can know truth. We can have a guide into all truth. We can have spiritual sight and and enlightenment and illumination and comprehension and understanding and even empowerment and enablement and capability through the Holy Spirit of God. May we never forget, God, the anointing that You've given us. And may, Lord, it, it reassure us and give us confidence as we live in these very defining, challenging days. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for being here, guys. We'll see you on Easter Sunday.